Welcome to Let's Get Ethical, a podcast of the Center for Ethics and its Ethics of AI Lab at the University of Toronto. Today's guest is Ida Cuevisto, Professor of Public Law at the Faculty of Law of the University of Helsinki, Finland. We'll talk with Ida about algorithmic transparency. Welcome to our podcast, uh, Ida. Um, today we're talking to Ida Cuivisto, uh, professor of law at the University of uh, Helsinki in Finland. Um, and uh, our topic today is transparency in automated decision making. Um, welcome to Let's Get Ethical. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you. Um, so you're doing really interesting work uh, at the intersection of um, legal doctrine, legal theory, ethics, uh, and AI. So um, we're very excited to have a chance to speak to you about your uh, about your ideas today. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, how you came to think about transparency in general and then in the particular context of automated decision making? Okay, so uh, uh, I'm, I'm a lawyer, uh, so, and uh, in particular uh, public lawyer, so I, I teach administrative law. And my PhD actually uh, back in the day uh, was about the concept of good governance. and. That always kind of bugged me. What is this goodness anyway? This power, right? Why is it? Why is it good? What is good governance anyway? And in this good governance vocabulary, uh, transparency was always mentioned as one of the main mm. thing uh, I, I always encountered, and that kind of stuck with me. Uh, that I think uh, thought that okay, after this, I will delve into this question of transparency. And now. Uh, for quite some time already, I've been working on transparency theory, if you will. It sounds a little bit pompous, <laughs> uh, but anyway, to um, I've been writing about uh, the kind of theoretical preconditions of transparency as a governance ideal. And a couple of years ago, a colleague of mine, uh, who's a professor of law and digitalization, uh, she asked me, like, uh, we should apply for funding together. She's doing law and digitalization. I'm doing transparency. Let's join our forces. Let's uh, uh, let's apply for funding for algorithmic transparency. And we put an, our uh, research project together quite quickly. And we were successful from the uh, Finnish Academy. And we, we got the four years funding uh, for this team, so so therefore that's that's how it uh, I I found my way to this particular topic uh, in in transparency and automated decision making. Um, I think that's a uh, an unusual path. Ah, to, I guess um, so too. Yeah. yeah, which I think makes it uh, all the more interesting uh, to be able to talk to you. Um, and um, maybe I can ask a little bit more about this idea of good governance because it seems to have. Um, been central to your uh, previous research in administrative law, uh, which I think is a concept that's familiar to people across uh, legal systems. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, so in, in, in this uh, good governance uh, context of administrative law, um, uh, what, what role did transparency play in, in attempts to make sense of what good, good governance uh, means, if, if any? 
Um, depends, of course, the context. But if you think about the more general, uh, general context, even global context, there good governance seems to be um, less than a theory and more than a, a cookbook, as somebody uh, sometimes um, sometimes uh, said that there seem to be a constellation of certain principles and these principles are just gathered un under this umbrella uh, concept of good administration or good governance. It was seldom articulated why these particular principles actually would make governance good. Uh, and of course I come from Finland and in Finland there is a different story to some extent. It's a country of high uh, transparency and, and openness in public administration, so there was more constitutional grounds for those things. But in my PhD I was, uh, uh, I was working different levels, also uh, national law, a little bit of European law, and then a little bit more of this uh, global governance uh, discussions. So, but transparency was always there, lurking somewhere uh, uh, in the folds of these discourses, and then I, I, I thought this is super interesting and uh, yeah, but vague, very vague. Yeah, maybe conveniently vague. Yes. Um, so, and, and what, so what is the connection between good governance and, and uh, one of my personal favorites, uh, the concept of rule of law? Mm. Um, is, is this rule of law in, in the administrative law context or, or is, it, uh, is, is, there, is there a distinction between the two? Maybe one is softer than the other, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. Is, uh, yeah, is law part of governance, governance part of law? Uh, how do we... Uh, make this conceptual distinction. I think this is also part of this uh, magic concepts. I think it's a great uh, uh, idea of Politan Hube. I don't know if you're familiar with this um, idea of magic concepts, which are this big concept of governance, uh, which have uh, this kind of superior rhetorical powers, uh, that they are um, broad in scope, and they are normatively attractive, so they kind of magnet for a lot, lot, lot of kind of uh, normative uh, meanings. Um, they have a consensus implication there. It seems very difficult to be against of, uh, any of this concept because they are just they are above all criticism. They are lifted on a pedestal, uh, and then they are fashionable. Everybody's talking about them. Uh, it's all the policy papers. There's a lot of academic writing. So I think. All of these concepts, good governance, transparency, rule of law, I think all of these are magic concepts. And so it's very difficult to answer, answer to your question in any more particular way than, than that. Yeah, it's um, in, 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 I think in many other legal systems there are concepts like good governance and, um, and they often appear in, in groups. Um, so perhaps peace, order, and good government uh, or good governance and, and yeah, one of the things I always wonder about why do you need three of them because it seems like any one of them could could do the you know the job of a very vague universally attractive concept that you can use however you like um, but it's interesting because um, there will be some kind of theory or doctrine that will try to explain how they fit together and it seems like um, transparency is one of those concepts that you found at various levels of, of government, um, uh, domestic and European and even global, yeah. um, to, to play this, this role. But so is it, is it, is it true that there's um, 
that the higher you move in, in the kind of the legal system from the domestic to the global sphere, that um, the more likely you are going to encounter um, magic concepts like this, or is that? Yeah, I think yeah. that is uh, that is a good hypothesis. I, I think that is true, and of course, it depends on uh, on uh, your scholarly field too. Like law tends to be more precise, uh, but if you go to more like talk about politics or so it's, it's or policy, then it gets more vague. But I think in general, these all these magic concepts are basically uh, about legitimization of power. That's that's the basic basic thing and I think it's all, always it's useful to ask what is the question to which this particular thing is an answer what is the question to which transparency is an answer what is the question to which good governance is the answer and they're like hmm what is it indeed <laughs> is that we borrow all... power needs more legitimization <laughs> uh, and why would that be and why now right yeah and so did did you find an answer <laughs> <laughs> Does, so what well, I guess what's the what's the question that uh, that transparency um, answers in in your view? Yeah, that is that is one of my major research questions. Uh, I, I think um, one of the candidates uh, to to answer that question that our world is getting more and more complex and uh, it's very difficult to see uh, what is what is true. We are we are surrounded by fake news and alternative facts and. Um, all, all, all kinds of uh, social media content, and we have we div we struggle uh, to know what is what is true, what is real, and transparency uh, kind of promises an avenue uh, to reality or truth, and it is interesting that is some kind of last bastion of uh, of uh, realist conception of truth that there is truth to be known and and true transparency practices we have the potential to access that and uh, that I found very interesting. Um, and so you mentioned the, um, um, the pre preciseness or the precision of, of law, the distinctive to, to it as a, as a discipline. I, yeah, I think that's definitely true. That's, I think that's how lawyers like to <laughs> think of themselves. Um, but one of the things that, that I find uh, fascinating about your research is that you, you, you take legal principles or legal norms, but then you you look at them in an, I don't know what, unconventional, not, not purely you know, juristic or juridical or, or, or legal way. And so you bring to, to bear you know, um, other perspectives and other literature. So can, can, you, can you tell us a little bit about what, what kind of literatures you found enlightening or, or at least illuminating um, in, in your work? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. It's, um, I think what I'm interested in is some kind of subconsciousness of law. <laughs> so what kind of assumptions of humanity uh, there are um, uh, in our legal systems and legal, legal concepts? And, and in my work in transparency, I, what I found interesting and illuminating, as you said, uh, is Actually, a lot of that work comes from media studies, uh, cultural studies, social theory, um, philosophy. I think those fields, uh, because in, in the field of law, is often it gets very granular and gets very doctrinal very easily, and whether or not some documents is is uh, accessible to to public or not, or 
whether something should be should be transparent or should be uh, accessible or not. And I, I don't think that it's particularly interesting. Uh, of course, if I want a document, then it's, uh, as a citizen, uh, of course, that is interesting. But if, if as a scholar, I'm more interested in what are the mindsets behind uh, what is uh, public and what is secret and or concealed and so on. Yeah, so that, that to me is... Um... Is interesting because you, 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 I think you operate with a certain conception of law. Also, I find kind of, um, and I'm curious whether what you think about uh, about the possibility that this is um, based on a maybe a Finnish uh, conception of what what law and legal doctrine and legal research is. I'm um, so kind of a you know, comparative uh, question, but so I. I um, I know that you that you're interested in legal realism and, and critical legal studies. Um, um, so I'm, I'm curious to what extent you think law uh, or legal studies uh, has the tools um, to help you analyze the you know the, the kind of more fundamental issues that you're interested in, or or whether you have to reach out to other other disciplines like media studies and and, and so on. In other words, whether maybe whether you think of this as a your project as a as a legal project or as a disciplinary project about law. Yeah, that is a that's a very difficult question, and and I think their law has a lot of tools, uh, but of course it depends how you approach because law uh, is often or it does it likes to present itself 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 it's a, some kind of a hermetic system like which is a, like a bubble. Uh, in classical uh, legal positivism, it's more like we have, we purify law from from all the other uh, elements like politics or ethics or religion and so on or social norms. And I am particularly interested how it relates to those things. So I think it's, my it's, my it's, it's, it seems to me that 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 you seem slightly annoyed by these attempts to purify law, and you want to you want to mess things up a little bit when people try to keep them nice and. Nice and neat, or if, if there are magic magical concepts, you want to point out perhaps that that they are magical and that you know how, how they operate, and that we shouldn't just uh, take for granted that they that they have this rhetorical power. Well, I, I see the impulse, and I, I, I don't mind it. Uh, <laughs> we I think there is a worth uh, for doctrinal backletter law. I'm not against it. Uh, mm. It's a different endeavor to do that. Uh, but I just, but if you try to like purify from uh, from these elements, then it's, I think it's ultimately the intellectually dishonest. That's the problem. And um, but of course, you know, there's a two different uh, ways of thinking. If you're thinking with law, uh, you you try to apply law. It's a different thing than th uh, than thinking about law. When you think it's a law of your more kind of a object of your intellectual curiosity and I, I think that is the distinctive parameter here so uh, as, a, as an intellectual project I'm interested in how how uh, these different normative systems uh, kind of leak into law uh, although I see the value of, of also doing this kind of more closed system uh, based idea of, of legal reasoning oh well, sure um... Um, and a lot of people do it, and they do it really well. Um, so uh, let's let's talk about uh, transparency. Um, so um, it, as I I understand it, um, and, and that, in fact that's what you say that that transparency um, is a metaphoric solution to a metaphoric 
problem. Um, and, and I think you're talking about the relationship between transparency and what you call and other people call kind of the black box uh, problem. And, and so um, t tell us a little bit more about, uh, about you know, how you see the relationship between transparency and, and, and black box. Yeah, this is, um, this is a particular context of transparency and, and now we, uh, in the wake of, of uh, the rise of automated decision making, we often uh, encounter this lamentation that there are black boxes and we don't know how the inputs uh, translate into outputs and therefore there is a black box uh, and we have to open the box in order to, to see what is happening, the, what are the inner workings of that black box. And yeah, transparency is the, the uh, number one solution, I think, that is suggested to cure that problem. But I think transparency is very uh, way more complicated ideal than it's portrayed in these uh, mainstream narratives. And uh, I have a lot to say about, <laughs> say about that, of course. Uh, but yes, I think one of the ma major ideas is it's a, it's a visual metaphor. It kind of appeals to our sense uh, or, or seeing our... Um, ability to see things ourselves, like looking through a window. So the idea is that when we see uh, uh, with our own eyes, uh, immediately it's kind of privileged way of, of knowing. And we don't need any verbal explanations. That's, that's all uh, that it takes. We can just... Um, seeing seems to be self-authenticating. And that is the promise of, of transparency metaphor, like uh, when you see uh, yourself, you see what is happening, for example, in the black box. And therefore, when you see, you can fix if there is something to be fixed. And I think that is the, the main promise of, of transparency. Yeah, so you, you have um, challenging things uh, to say about um, transparency, but, but, but also about black box. So, I mean, if, if I understand it correctly, the the way this is supposed to work is kind of black box is bad and transparency is good. So it makes, a perf makes perfect sense to use transparency to fix black boxes. But, um, and I want to hear more about to what extent you think that um, oversimplifies the, the notion of transparency, but, but uh, I think you also have something to say about, uh, you know, the badness of uh, of, of black box that is that you know it's not necessarily as 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 bad as as, as it's supposed to be at least the way yeah as, as you call it the the the, um, the traditional narrative or mainstream narrative likes to have it yeah I don't I don't see what's wrong with bad with uh, with black I, I think black is a great color it's yes. my happy color so I don't see anything bad with black boxes it's a joke but um, I think it's yeah we don't we just think we know want to know what is happening in in them but I think in many cases we don't know what we want to know um, and what I uh, talk about in, in in my paper is the the I, I distinguish the logic of uh, discovery from logic of justification this is a, a distinction coming from the philosophy of science that. Uh, the logic of discovery is just a description of empirical pro, uh, process, what happens in the black box, for example, in the human brain. It's also a black box. Uh, so how our neurons are shooting and what kind of associations follow each other in our mind. And that can be completely random if you've never ever done, for example, uh, mindfulness or meditation and try to 
to listen to your own thoughts. They are completely random. There is no no predetermined rules what happens, right? And then the logic of justification is more like legal reasoning. It's rule-based, if you want. Uh, so what happens, we have the law, we have the, uh, the uh, facts, and then we, we have the syllogism. Uh, so this is uh, more of the logic of justification that we should be able to uh, follow uh, the reasoning, the steps, step-by-step -step reasoning, what follows uh, from A to B to C and so on. So this logic of justification is more like, okay, this is the results, this is the output, and you should uh, approve of it because it's rational, it's, it's uh, followed this particular logic, so therefore it's good. Uh, you can see the, the steps. Uh, but we, if you think about these black boxes, for example, in, uh, in, in automated decision-making, do we really want to see, for example, this logic of, of discovery? If you think, okay, we want to see the inner workings, how we want to see how the algorithm works, do we really want that? doesn't really say anything, it doesn't communicate much. So, but if we want to say the logic of justification, that might mean that there needs to be some kind of translation. So right. that needs to be translated uh, to human understandable form. And the more this kind of translation, more intermediaries there are, the less there is transparency because somebody is telling us, and this just goes directly counter the promise of transparency, don't believe what I say, uh, see yourself, but it's called, this becomes this antonym, that don't see what you, don't just look at yourself, but believe what I explain to you, right? So that's, there is kind of a transparency shifts its, its form to understandability. Well, I think you call this the transparency paradox. Is that mm. is that the is that the paradox? There are so many it's... paradoxes. <laughs> oh, okay, there. Oh, excellent. Well, tell us tell us more about the, about the various paradoxes. Okay, one of my favorite paradox. Uh, this is a big word, and I apologize. It's a neologism and terrible, uh, but I call this icono ambivalence of transparency ideal. Icono ambivalence. Yes. That means that the transparency is ambivalent about icons, and I mean like like pictures, a visual representation. And uh, what I think that uh, that transparency is ideologically iconoclastic and is hostile towards visual representation images, because we think about this transparency discourse is like the transparency or the visibility of the object uh, would be possible uh, to gain if only the the obstacles. Uh, uh, blocking the visibility would be removed, the black boxes would be opened, or uh, obfuscating wheels would be uh, removed, or, or, or something like that. The curtains would be opened, so we take something off, uh, and then the transcendence, if you will, the, the object itself which has emerged before our eyes. That would be the iconoclastic aspect, the ideological aspect. However, we talk about abstractions uh, such as uh, right. credit score or we talk about governance or decision-making. These are things which only um, reside in our collective imagination. They are social constructs. There is, we cannot see governance, can we? There is, it doesn't have any physical form, does it? Or we cannot see uh, algorithm. Uh, it's a construct, and so because that is the case, in order to have some kind of visibility, uh, we need images, we need some kind of representations, 
you know, largely understood. We need uh, uh, we need pictures, we need uh, illustrations, we need texts, we need documents, maps, and and all kind of things. And the idea is that this is the iconophilic part, so the part that actually loves visual representation of uh, uh, in transparency. So because uh, we talk about this with this metaphor. And oftentimes there's nothing to see unless there is somebody who produces something to see. Uh, for example, images or, or uh, texts. Well, that is a fun uh, paradox. Mm. Uh, Icono-ambivalence. Yes. I'm just repeating that, you know, so people can write it down. <laughs> um, uh, so, um, one of the things that you also talk about, in particular in this context of automated uh, uh, decision making is what you call, I think, the human-faced yes. nature of uh, ambivalence, uh, which I take it has to do with the uh, preconception of the being or the the thing that is uh, experiencing the the transparency or or, or tries to or, or would like to uh, is looking for it uh, and then finds it, but but not. Um, so can you t can you tell us a little bit more about this uh, about this idea of the human-faced nature of transparency? Sure, um, uh, I think in general in this auto, uh, when our law is getting digitalized and and we're talking about algorithms and AI and so on, what is particularly interesting about this, uh, apart from its so societal impact, of course, is that we we need to think about the anthropological uh, assumptions of of our law. Uh, because our our ideals right. are very human centric, uh, and we don't necessarily even notice that before we take the human out of the equation. And what I need, mean by by the human face uh, nature of of transparency is that actually based on very simple linguistic uh, observation. Because we think that transparency is always good. There is, as said, is a magic concept. There is a positive halo around the concept. However, it's defined. But if I say to you, Marcus, that oh, you are so transparent, I can yes. see through you. Yes, that that's, that's this is a not good very, thing. No, not. I mean, unless unless I really wanted to be transparent, it was my intention to be transparent. Exactly, exactly, mm. precisely my point. So we often don't notice that there is this pejorative, this negative connotation to transparency, um, part, like besides this positive one, and this I think this negative connotation is actually the very truth about transparency because let's even if it's a person or it's an institution if it's a big tech company is it a government institution some kind of organization if they release information um, deliberately intentionally and uh, and say that we are being transparent so therefore we are disclosing this and this document or this and this piece of information and then the receivers of this information are, oh wow, transparent, that's great. I like that. They are really bold. They they have some spine. They 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 are doing a good job, right? We we it creates legitimacy to the person or organization who is releasing voluntarily information. Or at, at least it has the potential to do that. However, if we see more than we are supposed to see, we uh, there is transparency, uh, obviously, but it's not it's not intentional, it's not voluntary, but something is getting revealed uh, unintentionally. We don't appreciate it. It's like, oh, 
if you see, uh, we see the truer truth, if you will, behind the leaking appearance. And we don't appreciate it, we feel betrayed. Like, aha, this was the case, you said one thing and you actually turned out to be another. And I think what is the principle underpinning this logic is, uh, is what uh, social psychologist Erwin Kaufman has said, uh, the impression management. And we as people uh, want to manage our impression. We want to be in control how we appear to other people. And I think this the same logic appears to institutions. They also want to appear in certain favorable light. They want to have a good reputation. Uh, they, would, uh, they, have, they want to have prestige. They have, want to have high status and so on. Uh, and I think this is one of the, the if you, you asked about human face logic of transparency, I think that is the, one of the, the major uh, parts of it, that it needs to be intentional in order to be uh, uh, esteemed. If, if it's unintentional, we don't want it. It's too much information, it's oversharing, it's leaking. This is not nice, we don't want it. And we don't really acknowledge this. We just think that transparency is good and, and um, opaqueness or lack of transparency is bad, but we don't necessarily recognize that this negative side of transparency is equally uh, undesired. And so in the context of automated decision-making and, and the, uh, the, the world of algorithms, this, this also raises interesting questions about how transparency and this kind of dance of transparency is supposed to work in a world that may not include only humans, right? Uh, so how, how are algorithms supposed to be interacting with each other if, uh, if it's all about transparency? Are they, going to, are they going to be impressed with another algorithm being very transparent? Is, is, is that other algorithm going to have an interest in appearing to be transparent, right? Is that... Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. I think it's the, the whole idea of, uh, of potentially taking human out of the equation is going to complicate this issue a lot. And, and because, yeah, as, as you well pointed out, algor there was, algorithms don't care to, to appear in a favor favorable light in, uh, amongst other algorithms. They don't have this kind of, uh, they are not social animals as we are. We are social animals and we want to um, be in contact with uh, other people and, and appear in favorable light. Algorithms don't care. Uh, so this, of course, we have to think about to whom these transparency requirements actually are addressed. Are they the creators of the code, or data, data controllers, or are they actually humans, uh, or or firms, or or what what is it? Uh, but I think that there is uh, interesting um, signals that transparency, although it's very very uh, powerful discourse in 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 ADM and, and algorithms, uh, that there is also other concepts which are lately came come into the debate like understandability, explicability, uh, and so on. And which kind of point to the fact that if we see, we don't necessarily understand, because if we just see into the black box, even it would be iconoclastically opened, we see, would we see uh, zeros and one or, or some kind of code, we wouldn't understand it. And we would need some kind of intermediary who would explain it to us what it actually means. And then we are in the, in the, the world of uh, iconophily uh, again, so that there, there are more mediation 
uh, and this mediation is always potentially some kind of form of this impression management logic. So we never, we, we can't really know uh, how much there is this kind of uh, uh, human interest involved. Um, yeah, I, I, I want to hear more about the, kind of the, the big question about the relationship between humans and, and algorithms and machines. Um, so I hope, I hope we can get to talk about this, but um, but bef before that, um, yeah, I, I, uh, um, I'm curious whether one solution to the transparency problem, to the extent there is a transparency problem, it sounds like once you've exposed this kind of logic or logics of transparency, it's hard to, you know, hard to keep playing that game. So, so maybe now transparency is a different kind of problem. But I wonder if you think then this problem could be solved by switching to a different vocabulary. So, for example, you mentioned understandability. So, is or or mm -hmm. don't you think that the same dance would would recur, just that we would play it, or you know, same game would recur, only we would play it with understandability. And so, the understandability is being used to communicate something, you know, care or or you know the the. The pursuit of legitimacy, the attempt to achieve legitimacy, or or do you do you think understandability is somehow preferable as a way of framing um, the the question? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I what I know, transparency is an old ideal. It's, it's come from the uh, enlightenment uh, enlightenment era originally. This Jeremy Bentham and and Rousseau, who were the big theorists of of transparency. So this long uh, history uh, of thought, I guess, gives transparency more weight, I'd say, that uh, because this has a prom promise of uh, um, empowering citizens to keeping power in check. But if we, and of course, I just uh, uh, explained what are the problems of transparency, it's internally contradictory in many ways, but still there is some kind of promise that you have a, a voice in the world. You can you can affect things uh, because transparency is some kind of uh, vehicle of of control, as it best as as the, the the promise of transparency goes. But if we change the vocabulary to understandability, for example, then I think there might be a danger that we are. Um, reduced to passive recipients of information and this can be and they can become some kind of bifurcation of of what happens in the digital world and then what is conceivable to us and there might be a less and less contact with uh, between these two realms and i think that's a bit worrying um yeah i'm, I'm worried um so one of the things that uh you point out that as you describe the operation of transparency, it, um, is that it assumes a hierarchical relationship um, between one and, and, and the other, uh, and the other is, I guess, the public, and the one is the state. Or um, and so, one of the questions that that I'm thinking about is, you know, to what extent that conception um, is already problematic in the sense that it um, you know, it, it's inconsistent with, you know, the the idea of self-government and, and equality um, that is supposed to motivate the concern uh, and understanding of legitimacy to begin with. So, 
um, perhaps if you start with this conception of the relationship between the state and and the public, then you can think that transparency can do this work. Um, but perhaps the problem is that that uh, conception already is uh, commits you to maybe a good governance paradigm as opposed to you know, a democracy self-government par paradigm. It's more like, let's say, governing the household mm -hmm. than it is uh, an exercise in, in democracy. So, um, so you talk about the history of transparency. I'm just wondering, so, and you, you trace it to to uh, the Enlightenment. Do, do you see transparency earlier, even sort of in early you know, Greek uh, experiments in democracy, where they're all sitting around the agora and you know judging each other? Um, I, I'm just I'm just curious to what extent they they even thought about questions like transparency because everything was open to to everyone else. You know, there's no one who had something that was either hidden from the others, at least at least in, in kind of conception uh, and you know, legitimatory conception. Like that's what's supposed to make it um, I think there is an illusion though. I think uh, they also had things to hide. They're also presenting uh, themselves uh, uh, in the, the Goffmania logic. They also wanted to appear cool with their peers in their Agora and how to say smart things and not to reveal their ignorance and so on. So I think this basic logic was still there. Mm. But actually, when I'm trying, when I when I'm um, working on my transparency uh, ideas, um, I also think that it can be associated with uh, uh, social contract theories. If you think why why transparency is a democratic ideal, I think it can be associated with the idea that we give our power to sovereign and and then we have, uh, because we are actually the principles and the sovereign is the agent. If the agent is not faring well in the, in his job, then we can overthrow it, right? So, and through transparency, we can monitor whether or not that uh, actually is happening. So, but I think there is two major rationalities in in, in transparency. There is this democratic uh, democratic uh, rationality, which is exactly that we're the political citizens and uh, the the ultimate wielders of power, and therefore we have power to to monitor the the um, political power. But also there is another rationality which I call the public law rationality or administrative rationality. So then we are actually subject to power. Uh, for example, administrative decision or automated decision. Then we are not the political citizens, we are we are subjects. Uh, and then the, the whole idea is a bit different because then we want to see how power has been uh, exercised upon us particularly. And then we want to see the logic of justification. We want reasoned. Uh, we have. We want to be given reasons. We uh, why why law or was applied to us in this particular way. And this is also a kind of rationality of transparency. No, I I I can see why transparency can work in all these different contexts. I mean, that's part of the problem. You know, that kind of it. Um, and this fundamental distinction between, um, you know, the kind of democratic rationality and the state rationality, um, yeah, I mean, if I, I I recognize that as a kind of as a as a central um, idea in in modern law, um, but yeah, I'm I'm one of those people who has a really hard time um, um, 
seeing those as 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 related at all um you know one purely formal and the other you know substantive and uh, and, and one of the problems with transparency is that it works both as as a as a test for efficiency but also for legitimacy but in a in a rich substantive uh way you can use transparency to make sure it's done properly you know so to me good governance is 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 a concept that that fits the the administrative state uh really well um but uh it, it's it's it doesn't fit kind of the you know the the the, the substantively legitimatory um state of of citizens where we all share um you know in, in self-government which may be an ideal but but to me that's that's the one that kind of legitimizes the the exercise of power in the first place the other is kind of uh, checking it, you know, at the margins, how it's. Uh, mm, I have to disagree but, uh, a little bit. Yes, well, you're an administrative lawyer. No, so I, I think I there is. A, I think there is a connection of making power visible. That's what we uh, think we want, uh, and there's just a matter of degree whether it's existential, uh, uh, existential point of view or procedural point of view. We want to see well, how power is being used. If you are subject to power, we want to want to see how it's used in order to be legitimate. And that's also interesting that transparency is, is less uh, used in, in kind of horizontal relationships. Uh, we don't call for transparency that much when from our peers, <laughs> but we want that from big companies, uh, states, governments, uh, organizations who are when there is an unequal power relation yeah um, that makes sense to me which is why i thought you know the ancient greeks would have wondered what what's this transparency like yeah i mean i want to see them you know i don't want them to hide from me <laughs> but then but once you know once i'm with them and experience self-government together there's no nothing nothing more i need to see um that, that's all I need to know. That's what <laughs> you <that>. think. <laughs> it reminds me of uh, Rousseau's uh, Utopia of Transparency, uh, which is interesting because he he had this idea that um, the theater is, uh, if I remember correctly, I'm not completely sure, theater is bad, uh, but but festival is good. Because theater, there is some kind of performer and audience, but, but festival is some kind of allegory of of that we all are transparent to each other. And he has this um, idea of utopia of everybody uh, having a pure heart that we could read uh, each other's thoughts. Uh, we would be all transparent to each other uh, and there would be some kind of purity uh, involved. And um, I think it's, uh, if you think it's very anachronistically or, or like, I think there is some kind of uh, anxiety towards the symbolic order that we we don't want to to the, the language is actually a problem but we there is an obstacle of, of sincere communication but if we were to see true transparency uh, uh, to each other's hearts that would be always uh, less deceitful and I think that uh, there is some kind of idea that well some kind of fantasy of, of mother and a child if you will that you know mom always knows what you want and you don't have to express because she's always there to read your needs so is my my reading of of Rousseau's uh, transparency utopia because in fact that would be a terrible thing if everybody could could read each other's thoughts it would be end of social life well it's 
I'm kind of depressing. Um, but uh, <laughs> at the end, I um, I wanted to come back to um, to uh, something um, that I, I, I think you uh, you're interested in and perhaps believe, which is and um, this this idea that um, about the relationship between humans and machines, and then the question, therefore, also whether machines can replace uh, humans uh, and um, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that, 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 that you're interested in this idea that, that there's something missing, that if we were to replace humans with machines, um, that, 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 that something's left, left out. And, and it seems to me that your, your interest in transparency may be related to this, to this attempt to figure out what that something is that will be left out. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, what, what that something because uh, I think that's a common search. It's a commonly shared sentiment that it's something. So some people say, well, it, machines can't think, uh, they don't have judgment, they can't judge, but they can reckon, for example. Um, but but it's, it's difficult to, other than name, you give, <laughs> give the distinction two different names, it's very difficult to, to directly get a sense of what that something is that we would miss if we replaced humans with machines. I'm curious if you have any any mm. thoughts on on this. Yeah, I don't know if if the machines could replicate uh, humans well enough. I don't know if we would care. Like uh, already, I think the all kind of chatbots are <laughs> sometimes they are very human-like. Uh, I don't know if there are any problems because, but I think the major thing is that we want to be acknowledged uh, as unique uh, individuals and be recognized as such and. Uh, I guess it's the Turing test, basically. Uh, but I don't really have an answer to that. I think it's uh, interesting and, and you pointed out a very uh, relevant thing. And I, I, I don't really know. I, I just know that we often project our own needs to, to other things and we anthropomorphize a lot of things like as animals. And also probably if there is an AI, we we might think that it's it's like us and that we we want to talk about rights and uh and transparency uh, yeah, yeah and transparency mm. and so on that as if the, we they would be interested in the same things as we humans are and and that is a assumption that may be proven false who knows who does so <laughs> thank you thank you very much for joining us uh today and um yeah come come back sometime <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Get Ethical, the podcast of the Center for Ethics and its Ethics of AI Lab at the University of Toronto. To learn more about the Center's activities, please visit our website at ethics.utoronto.ca.